0: Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Well, friends, we're going to begin a, uh, a worship series, a three-week worship series starting this Sunday of things uh, that called Things That Jesus Never Said. So there have been a lot of things attributed to Jesus in the, in the two millennia since, uh, s- since his time, and we're going to explore three of those. In these series, The text today that we'll hear in just a moment comes from John's Gospel, it hap- uh, and it comes from the latter half of the Gospel in a three-chapter section called the Farewell Discourse. And here in this section, Jesus is preparing the disciples for his eventual departure. The Discourse includes many familiar scriptures. We'll go over a few of those today. So uh, listen for the word of the Lord as we hear from the Gospel of John. Hello, my name is Lee. this is Nick, and this is Jacob, and today I will be reading John 16, 20 through 22 and 23. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that that child has brought into this world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but you will see me again, and you will rejoice. And no one will take that away from you. I have told you these things so that in me you will have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. (laughs) Thanks be to God. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Lee and Nick and Jacob, for, uh, for reading the scripture today. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, open our hearts and minds. To your word for us this day, in Jesus' name, amen. So the, this week, the title of the sermon is, Jesus Never Said You Won't Have Bad Days. And if you take a close look at that, chap, at that passage from John, you can see that that's, that's far, fairly obvious. Jesus said there would be suffering. So not only will we not have bad days, we'll have terrible days. Weeping and mourning five dollar gas although as I'm on my trip today from from uh, from denton i noticed i could get it for like i'm not gonna it's sort of, sort of like your favorite fishing hole you don't ever tell people so because they might run out so i but i saw a gas station for 459 so i'm gonna be stopping there on my way home so worse than five dollar gas worse than when the cowboys go eight and eight again thank you back there for that Worse than seeing those orange construction barrels on your morning commute. We just got back from a trip out west, and they are working on every road in America, I will, I will tell you. Worse than the Dow going into bare territory, right? Because I, I don't know about you, I don't look at the 401k. It's not even a 401k anymore. It's more like a 205 or something, because it's only worth about a half. Yes, we'll have bad days. And a common interpretation of this passage, of course, is, is that... Um, that, that bad, bad things will happen, as Her, uh, Rabbi Harold Kushner said, bad things will happen to good people. Janet talked about this last week. Jesus never said that Christians would always have an easy go, but neither is our suffering part of God's plan. Okay, y'all remember? Help me out. Yes, things happen for a reason in the world. There's cause and effect, but the cause isn't God's plan. Surely events of late would remind us of that and maybe cure us from ever offering these words again. Everything happens for a reason as some sort of lame excuse for the latest tragedy. Better words perhaps, I'm sorry this happened, I don't have an explanation, yes this is terrible, and I want to just sit with you and listen to how you are. And just love you. As tempting as it is to spend a few minutes more this morning traveling down that road that Rabbi Kushner so ably navigated, remember when bad things happened to good people? Did you read that book? I remember, remember when that book came out. Let's, we're going to take a different uh, path. Because I think the suffering that Jesus is preparing the disciples for goes beyond Even life's annoyances like $5 gas. It goes beyond life's significant struggles. You know, the struggles we all experience illness, broken relationships, job loss, uncertainty about the future, loss of a loved one. Those are significant, certainly. But the suffering that Jesus is talking about here, I think, is something different. And I want you to hear me. I want to be clear. Jesus is with us and cares for us when we have tough times, when those things happen. Because he did say, I am like a shepherd to my sheep. He did say, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. He did say, lo, I am with you always. Jesus certainly sustains us in our deepest distress because he has given us each other to be the face of Christ the incarnation fancy theological word for Christ acting in us so yes Jesus is with us when we face life's crises so, but the text today the, the text today i think concerns something different it's a different type of suffering, suffering the disciples and the believers in the early church would soon become familiar with. The source of that suffering, that anguish, I don't know about you, but as you read that passage, it seems to me that it's associated with the world. Did you notice how many times that phrase appears in that section, that little short section? The world, chapter uh, verse 20, very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. It sort of puts sort of you're having a bad time and the world's happy about it in verse 33 second half in the world you will have trouble in this world you will have trouble so what did jesus mean by the world seems to me that what jesus is doing is he's sort of putting in opposition his will his choice what what he's trying to do and what the world's agenda is He makes that pretty plain in chapter 15, a little earlier in the farewell discourse, when he tells the disciples the following. This is from the message. If you find the godless world is hating you, remember that it got its start hating me. If you lived on the world's terms, the world would love you as one of its own. And since I picked you to live on God's terms and no longer on the world's terms, the world is going to hate you. Wow. Pretty severe. John makes this point throughout the gospel. Chapter 1. He, Jesus, was in the world and the world came into being through him, and yet the world did not know him. So the world is in opposition to Jesus' agenda. These two agendas don't mix. Here the world, this word is a Greek word, Cosmos, which is a familiar word to us. The cosmos knew him not. Or the cosmos is going to hate you. It kind of makes it sound even more significant, right? If we're going to lay it on the cosmos. So what is this source, source of tension between the world and Jesus? Well, Jesus really, you know, as you recall, challenged the way things were. He said, the way things are, the way things are, Makes me sad. Makes me weep. He wept for Jerusalem. So, Jesus' agenda was different. He pointed out the absurdities of the day. Remember just a couple of examples here. Remember that he, he got in trouble for healing on the Sabbath, and he pointed out the absurdity of the Jewish law that says, you can pull your ox out of the out of the ditch, but you can't heal anybody. That's absurd. Things are more important than people? Hmm. That's from Luke four, or Luke fourteen. He proposed Jesus proposed a countercultural way of life. He said, "I have come to give good news to the poor. The poor. That word off, can be translated as the oppressed, which sort of gives it a little bit of a broader meaning." That's from Luke four. He said to carry the load a second mile. I don't know if you uh, if you knew this, but. Uh, In the ancient times, a Roman soldier could compel any of the oppressed people in an occupied territory to carry his pack for a mile. And Jesus said, carry it a second mile. Kind of subversive. It kind of puts the, it changes the whole power dynamic when you say, okay, I'll do your one mile and then I'll do one more. Jesus said that the meek would inherit the earth. Hmm. Sermon on the Mount, he said peacemakers were blessed. He challenged the notion that material prosperity was a mark of God's favor. That was what the world thought. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. That's from Matthew. He said, We must welcome the stranger. Don't lock them up. He proposed an extravagant way of living. He said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you, those who hate you, the cosmos. This new way of living, this subversive, revolutionary life, well, the world was not going to have it. The world said, no, not here, not on our watch. Because the disciples, you know, would face condemnation. History suggests that each of the disciples was martyred for his faith. Peter, crucified by Nero. Some say upside down. James was beheaded by Herod. Other church leaders were killed. Stephen was stoned to death. Paul was also beheaded. So, you see, there was suffering. And the early church as a group fared no better. When John's gospel was written... Around the end of the first century, the early church had already endured a persecution under Nero. And Nero was cruel, okay, no doubt about it. They were still dealing, even after Nero. Nero was was finished at about 65 AD, so this was written about 30 years later, so they still remembered. And the Roman government was still issuing edicts against the faith. So Christians were an oppressed minority, no doubt. So when John writes of Christian suffering and being hated by the world, his audience could relate. They probably knew someone that had been martyred. Yet the tiny church persevered and kept going. Thanks be to God. Friends, Jesus was preparing his disciples in the early church for what it would be like to live as Christians in a world of diametrically opposite values and goals. The message was clear. Live as a Christian, and there will be suffering. Jesus never said, because living as a Christian, living as living a Christ centered life, living as Paul said, living in Christ puts us in opposition to the world. And the world doesn't take that very well. So that's all well and good, preacher. Now, what about today? What's the message for us in the 21st century? What, how much suffering is actually going on among us Christians? Well, there certainly are Christian martyrs still in the world. According to the International Society for Human Rights, Christians are estimated to make up 80% of those who are persecuted for their religion worldwide. But I got to thinking, what about my life? What have I risked? How much have I suffered lately? What about U.S. Christians? And I'm not talking about things like saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. I'm not talking about stuff like that. What about suffering? What about Christians in North Texas? What about Christians in Collin County? What about Christians in McKinney? What about Christians in Stonebridge, United Methodist Church? What have we risked lately? You know, in addition to today being Father's Day, it's also Juneteenth. It commemorates the day in 1865 when General Order No. 3 was issued by a general in the Union Army and it announced freedom for enslaved people in Texas, never mind that the Emancipation Proclamation had happened two years before, but this was the announcement that practically freed the slaves in Texas, which was the last state in the Confederacy with institutional slavery. Go figure. It's a day when we mark the sacrifices made and the suffering experienced for the advancement of civil rights in America, and you, you've probably heard these stories, right? Maybe, maybe you've read about them in the history books, or if you're, you know, if you're of my vintage, with a little gray up top, you can remember black and white images on your TV, Dogs being let loose on protesters, people being beaten, churches being firebombed, killings. Real suffering. Or maybe you saw the movie Selma. Remember the movie Selma? And you remember the scene where the crowd is trying to cross the Edmund Pettus Bridge, and they're repelled by a small army of Alabama police, using nightsticks and clubs and fists and rifle butts and probably the business end of an army boot to beat... Peaceful protesters who were marching for civil rights, the right to vote. They advocated for change. They said, Cosmos, we're not going to settle for how this is. And there was suffering that day, a day called Bloody Sunday. John Lewis, the late congressman from Georgia, was on that bridge, and he had a phrase for acting to make positive change in a way that perhaps the world might not well fully embrace And he called it getting into good trouble. Good trouble. He said, never ever be afraid to make some noise and get in good trouble. Necessary trouble. Now, John Lewis was talking about civil rights, but what if Christians decided to get into a little good trouble? What if United Methodists decided that they would get into a little good trouble resisting evil and injustice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? That should sound familiar. It's from our baptismal liturgy. We say that. We affirm that whenever we baptize someone. What if we decided to take on a little good trouble in our corner of the world? What if we refused to settle for things like they are. For the oppressed still need good news. And meekness is often seen as a personality flaw, something to be overcome, not cultivated. And there aren't nearly enough peacemakers, are there? We acquire more and more, and there are still preachers out there that will tell you that material prosperity is the point of the gospel, a heresy if there ever was one. The stranger, the immigrant, still merits our welcome. Loving enemies, that seems like an impossibility, right? Because we're scarcely able to talk to people with whom we disagree. Anytime, go on social media to check that out, how how many thoughtful conversations are happening there. And the United Methodist Church seems to can't get along. We fight amongst ourselves. But yet... For this world, the cosmos, the world that Jesus says is so oppositional, right? The world that will hate you if you try to live otherwise, opposite to the world's agenda. This is the same world that in John 3.16 is written, God so loved the world, the cosmos. It's the same Greek. So God loves the world. So if you want to get into a little good trouble for Jesus, how do you decide what to do? Well, you can't go wrong with a couple of guidelines. First, try Jesus' prime directive also from the farewell discourse. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No greater love than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now that is often interpreted as being a martyr and it can be interpreted that way, but it can also be interpreted as devoting your life to something. What do you devote your life to? Hmm. The second uh, framework are the general rules of the United Methodist Church. John Wesley, being a very practical man, could express this in, uh, in, uh, let's see, ten words. Do no harm, do good, stay in love with God do no harm, do good, stay in love with God. You could, uh, that's almost a t-shirt or a very big hat. You know, a faith that the world seems at best to accommodate and at worst ignores is really of little consequence. The world that Jesus came to redeem still needs saving. And friends, the world is not going to transform itself. That requires people like you and me not settling for the way things are. So a little good trouble is in order. Friends, the Christ who saves us, who redeems us, is also the Christ who strengthens us and equips us. The good news is that we can confidently say, with Paul, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Jesus never said you won't have bad days because living as a Christian, living a Christ-centered life, puts us all in opposition to the world's agenda. But we can confidently engage in acts of good trouble because Jesus' words of comfort at the end of this passage, verse 33, for for the disciples and the early church are the same for us today. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We are resurrection people. Jesus' victory over death means the world doesn't win. Evil, injustice, and oppression do not have the last word, but they won't go away quietly. And they won't go away soon if we're too timid, too comfortable, too satisfying. Too satisfied, too accommodating. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. So trouble is a certainty. So this week and beyond, why don't we make our faith consequential? If there's going to be trouble, let's make it some good trouble. In the name of Christ, let it be so. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.